Okay, now we're going to talk about Tetralogy of Fallot. And the name should indicate that there are four conditions within this heart defect. We're going to see pulmonary stenosis, right ventricular hypertrophy, which is just, you can see in that picture on the right there, that enlargening of the muscle. Um, and then also ventricular septal defect and overriding aorta, which you can't really tell a whole lot by this picture, but overriding aorta is usually that aorta is kind of more over <clears throat> the left ventricle, but when it's overriding, it's more kind of in the center or more towards the right ventricle. And I guess you can tell that by the picture just slightly. So those are the four defects that we'll see in, in this tetralogy of Fallot. Typically, this is going to be significant enough to warrant surgery during infancy. However, if, if for some reason it's not um, to a very severe degree, it may go unnoticed and detected later in life. Um, but let's talk about some of the things that we could probably see here. This is considered a right to left shunt. So you see that hypertrophy um, <clears throat> and then you see that pulmonary stenosis. So they're going to have a lot of pressure on the right side of the heart. The blood can't get through that pulmonary artery, um, and then that right ventricle has got a lot of pressure to it, and it doesn't pump very well, so it's going to shift to the left side of the heart. So when it shifts to the left side of the heart, the bad thing about that is, is it's bypassing the pulmonary artery, thus it's bypassing the lungs. So it's not getting that oxygen. So you'll notice in the picture that purple arrow showing the blood flowing through the aorta. We're going to have this mixture of some blood that goes to the lungs and gets to the left ventricle it has oxygen in it and then also we're going to have this other blood that was just shunted right from the right ventricle to the left ventricle and bypass the lungs so it's deoxygenated that's how we get the purple so as you can imagine these patients are going to have problems with cyanosis um, they could also we could also see this kind of boot sign that right ventricle, when you have that hypertrophy, creates what almost looks like a boot shape, and we could detect that on x-ray. Because they're going to have problems with oxygenation, um, these patients could develop what's called a tet spell. So if they are, you know, doing things like trying to feed, or as they get older, um, things that require increased oxygen demand, body's not going to keep up, be able to keep up with that. So they'll have these TET spells, which are life-threatening emergencies. These usually peak around two to four months because they are becoming a little bit more active. Um, even when they're getting very upset and crying or in pain, or if they have an injury, if they're straining to defecate, um, these could all be things that could increase that cardiac contractility and that increase in demand. Um, and their body's not able to keep up with that demand because it's having problems with enough blood flow getting to the lungs and getting oxygenated. In the event of a TET spell, what we would want to do is we want to be able to decrease that oxygen demand and we also want to be able to help get more blood to go to the lungs. So something we could do for an infant is put them in the knee chest position or if you think about someone who's a little bit older that we may have not detected this defect when they were an infant, we'll start to see them squatting. You know, maybe they're out running around on the playground and then they squat suddenly. Um, because what this does is the squatting does a couple of things. One thing it does is it decreases the oxygen demand. 
because they're stopping. They're stopping and they're squatting down, so the body's not working as hard. Um, if you're talking about an infant, since they're not really all that mobile yet, then we just need to keep them calm. Anything that we can do to keep these patients calm to decrease oxygen demand. The other thing this does is by squatting, it causes vasoconstriction. So it's causing vasoconstriction, and now blood is kind of backing up into that aorta, so that left side of the heart, everything's kind of getting constricted. The aorta is constricting because they have, um, by either them squatting down or us pulling the knees up for an infant, we are causing that vasoconstriction, which increases that pressure on the left side of the heart. So guess what? The blood is going to want to shunt back to the right, and then this allows it to go into that pulmonary artery and go to the lungs and get oxygenated. So having that knee chest position can be extremely helpful for someone having a TET spell. Other options, of course, besides the knee to chest calming the patient would be oxygenation and morphine. Um, there's another medication called phenylephrine, which is a vasoconstrictor, and it would pretty much do the same thing that I just described with the knee chest position, um, causing that vasoconstriction on the left side of the heart to open or make things shift to the right side and go through the pulmonary artery and then to the lungs. And then giving IV fluids could also help um, kind of help things shift into that pulmonary artery instead of bypassing that. So things to think about. Complications that can happen with this tetralogy of Fallot. They could have an emboli, they could have seizures or loss of consciousness, sudden death after an anoxic spell because it is um, a cyanotic disease. There's some risky things there with losing too much oxygen. And then just overall complications with congenital heart defects, heart failure, and hypoxemia would be things to watch out for. Um, so if they're going to have this fixed, like I said, it could be a like an open heart surgery type of thing, or we could also see just like a cardiac catheterization, just like we talked about with our um, MI case study. So in a cardiac cath procedure, um, complications we would want to watch out for, whether it's an infant or even an adult, is hemorrhaging. Um, so assessing that site, we talked about that with the MI case study, you know, assessing for any signs of hemorrhage or um, any blood loss, excessive blood loss. If there is hemorrhaging, then we would want to apply pressure. Um, they could develop a hematoma there. A student gave an example in class about someone who developed a, a hematoma um, that then, because there was so much blood flow, that they developed um, compartment syndrome because it was just too much volume in that compartment. A low-grade fever, nausea, vomiting, loss of pulses in that catheterized extremity. So we talked about the importance of your perfusion assessment in the extremities. They could develop a dysrhythmia after the cardiac procedure and you're irritating the heart muscles. And then, of course, in very rare cases, possibly death, stroke. Um, so just things to think about. And these are the two main congenital heart defects that we're going to highlight. Um, there's way more than this, but I think this gives you a good idea of what it looks like for an infant as far as procedures go, as well as what they might look like as far as having defects from this and signs and symptoms.